You ever um, heard someone say, all the signs were there, I just didn't see it? Yeah? No? Anybody? Um, right, right back there in the sound booth, um, I walked in on this former employee. Um, he was a church planning resident, and he was great. He was one of our first guys here, and I love him dearly. And uh, he, he had been dating this girl, and all the signs were there that she wasn't the one, Right? And uh, Jennifer and I knew it, and we were like, man, this, this, is, this is not right for him or whatever. And I walk in, and he's FaceTiming uh, with this girl from back, his back home that he'd known since middle school. And I was like, that's the one. And so I was like, dude, you need to marry her. And he's like, what? And I'm like... All the sons are there, man. Every time I've ever heard you talk about her, and, and I'm hearing you, like, your voice is different talking to her, man. You need to marry her. Seven months later, they got married. Um, he would tell you all the sons were there. I was just being stubborn and didn't want to see them. That's, that's what he would tell you if he were here today. Um, on a totally different note, um, I bought a truck one time. I shouldn't have. All the sons were there. Um, you know, you, you, you'll get your eyes on something, and you'll think, hey, this is the right thing to do, and even though there's like all these signs that say there aren't. And so this truck, uh, here was the sign that made me want to buy it. It was $1,200. And I was like, I'm cheap. I'm tight. And I'm like, here's this truck. It's only $1,200. Uh, it was like this late 80s Ford Ranger, and uh, it lasted two weeks, and the transmission went out. Two weeks. And I'm like, man, all the signs were there, <laughs> starting with the price tag, right? Uh, there, were, there were other things, but I so was being such a, a, a tightwide that it, that it cost me, and I just had to part the thing out. It was been like $1,800 to even attempt to fix it. We do this in life all the time. There, there will be these glaring signs that show us, hey, this is the way. But because of something in our heart, Maybe it's our own selfish desire. Maybe it's something we don't want to give up. Maybe it's something that, that we wrongly want. We will overlook those things. We'll become blind to those things and not see them. And it's often only after much damage and pain do we look back and go, they were all there. All the signs were there. Well, today we're in a, a text in Luke chapter 11. Uh, we're continuing in this text. Um, this, th this really last, last week's sermon and next week's sermons are really all kind of part of one thing that was going on, right? It's part of one story. And so it might seem a little discombobulated kind of in pieces, but really we're, we're addressing kind of one, one issue, one set of circumstances in Luke chapter 11. And here is th th this reality. Last, remember last week, they, they basically said to Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees basically said to Jesus, like, you cast out demons in the name of Beelzebub. You're really of darkness, not of light. Oh, no. All the signs were there. Jesus was the light. And so here's the big truth as we take apart this text today. Jesus is the light of the world, and whoever follows him will walk in the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will walk in the light. Now, I mentioned earlier in the text 
they say this. He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, keep seeking from him a son from heaven. They're looking for a son. Know that as we dive into this text. We're going to read uh, chapter 11, verses 29 through 36, and then we'll go back through and take apart the text. So, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a son, but no son will be given to it except the son of Jonah. For as Jonah became a son to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. All right, let's start back at 2029. So, We see the crowds were increasing. And so there's going to be people in the crowd as they've come to here that that haven't heard all of this, right? But they're they're gathering around. They've heard this Jesus. Jesus is teaching. We want to go hear this this teacher. And so um, this is what he says to them. He calls them evil. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a son. But no son will be given to it except the son of Jonah. Now, remember, when he's saying it seeks a son, they, they were just testing him, asking for a son. And this isn't the only place in Scripture it happens. It actually has happened over and over so far in the book of Luke that they've asked for a son. And so he says, no son will be given except the son of Jonah. For as Jonah became a son to the people of Nineveh, so will the son of man be to this generation. Here's my first big idea. Jesus himself is the son that we need to believe. Here these people are looking for a son. They want Jesus to perform a son. And Jesus is the son. He, being in the flesh, in front of them, is the son that they needed. That was true for them. And it's also true for us. And so he uses Jonah. Now, Jonah... Uh, is a preacher in the Old Testament, a prophet in the Old Testament. It's also a book of the Bible. That book of the Bible uh, tells Jonah's story. And so God uh, told Jonah, hey, I want you to go and I want you to preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah wanted nothing to do with it. Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. I, I think it's what you could even say he hated the Ninevites. Why? Well, because they were evil. The Ninevites were evil. He, he, because, of, because they were evil, because of the stuff that they, they did, uh, 
he, he didn't want to go preach to them. They, they weren't Israelites. They were, uh, they, were, they were Gentiles. They had pagan gods. And so when he's told, he didn't want to go. He's got the sin of partiality, it seems like. I probably could say there's some racism in his heart. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want them to come. He's afraid that if he preaches, they'll actually do what he says and, 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 and believe. And so he doesn't want to do it. So he begins to run. And he, he's going to go in the opposite way of Nineveh. It's like, here I am, Nineveh's that way, I'm going to get in a boat, and I'm going to go that way. I'm going to go as far away from what God has told me to do as I can. And so he gets in that boat, and he, and he gets out in the sea, he's headed to Tarshish, and he, he's basically hopped on board with, with these other kind of pagan guys, these, these fishing guys, and this massive storm comes. And so he's down, he's like just mad about it. He's mad that he's had to flee. He's mad that God's called him to do it. He's down in the belly of this boat. He's asleep. This storm has come. And, and the, the, the guys fishing, they're like, they, they believe in different gods, not, not, not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Not, not Yahweh, but they believe in, in certain gods. And so they start praying to these false gods, and these false gods are powerless, of course, and can do nothing. And so they're like, what is going on? In desperation, they go and wake them up, and they're like, hey, do you believe in a God? And he kind of gives them this speech that's like, yes, I believe in the right God, the God of the, the land and the God of the sea. And it was like this kind of hypocritical moment. Dude's, dude's not being cool. And so um, he's like, you know what? This is my God's fault that this is happening. And um, if you want it to stop, you're going to have to throw me overboard. I would rather, and basically he's saying, I would rather die than go preach Yahweh, go preach God to the Ninevites. And so they're like, they're better dudes than he is. They're like, no, we ain't doing that. We're not throwing you overboard, dude. We will get us to safety. And so in their own power, they go back to like trying to row the boat. And they guess what? They, they, they can't row the boat. And so um, there's no gently up the stream. Dad joke. Had to get that in there. And um, finally, they're like, all right, you win. We're throwing you over. And so they take Jonah and they throw him over. And as soon as they do, God has ordained this. God sends this big fish and he swallows Jonah. And, you know, when we read about that story as a kid, we think, man, this is a well, whatever. The Bible says it's a fish. And so it takes big fish with, with Jonah in his stomach. Three days and three nights he stays in the belly of the fish. And then the fish goes up basically to the the shore there at Nineveh, the opposite way of which he wanted to be going, and he spits Jonah out, and Jonah washes up on the shore. So he's literally the fish's vomit. Now, the Ninevites see this. They hear about this. Hey, this guy has washed up on the shore. Uh, most, most scholars and, and scientists, they believe that, that when this happened, it all the acid in the fish's stomach would have eaten all of his hair. He'd been like no hair on him. They believed that it would have bleached his skin, which is important for a later aspect of, of Jonah. And so they wash up, and begrudgingly, here he is. He's done that God has spared him in the belly of this fish. And so, okay, reluctantly, I'm going to go do this thing. And he starts into Nineveh, and he preaches, and he doesn't even get into the heart of Nineveh. Nineveh was massive. It's like a three days journey across. He's one day in. He preaches. He basically gets like one sentence out of his mouth in Hebrew, and the people repent. 
and they go, that's the real God. The God that did that, that brought that man up, they'd heard the story, they knew what, what happened, that God, that's the right God, and they say this Jonah is a son, and they repent. And it actually, the word, um, like the, the story spreads ahead of him, and before he even gets to the heart of Nineveh, the king hears it, and the king repents and believes. They see this son that hears this man who spent three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. His God must be the actual God. Like they hear the story and they believe. Jesus is telling them, this is all the sign you're getting. If that's all it took for them to believe, was this son, but it made it the heart of the city even before he got there preaching. This is what you're going to get. This is, your, this is your son. If that was enough son for them, I'm enough son for you. Now, what was the problem? Like, this is Jesus. If we, if we look back and we read the Gospels and we see that, I mean, he, he did incredible things. He, he caused the lame to walk, the blind to see. He just cast out this demon. This, this boy had been mute. His rather grown man had been mute and had not been able to talk and could now talk. Like he'd done miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet they still were saying, I want a son. I want a son. What type of son did they want? Did, did they want him to like write their name with the stars? Did they want to like realign the, the constellations that they had these, these people, other people with false gods worship? Did they, did they, you know, what did they want him to do? He had done all these things. Why did they want him to do it? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they're an evil generation. Just like in Jonah's generation was an evil generation, they were in rebellion to God, they were far from God, they were running from God. They were an evil generation. That's why they begged a son. Our generation's an evil generation. Do you realize that? Do you realize that nothing is new under the sun? But listen, there are different generations and there's different evils in generations. And there are some generations but because of, uh, of, of God's grace and repentance that are more evil than others. But listen to what Paul says. In, 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 the, in, the, first, in the first century after Jesus, when, when Paul is writing to, to the Roman church, he says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Do you know what that means, by their unrighteousness suppress the truth? It means like, oh, there were signs, there were obvious things there, but we ignored them. That's what that means. We, we ignored the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes. Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So from the beginning of time, in every generation up until our generation, God is doing things in the world that can only be explained by his divine nature. right? His eternal power. His invisible attributes. So since the beginning of the world, we have known there is a God. It's why there are so very few atheists in the world. And most any atheist you talk to, you can get them from the place of, 
there is no God to there might be a God to the place where there is a God, but he doesn't care what we're doing. You can get them there. Why? Because we realize when we look around the world around us and we look at science and we look to every hope we have, we realize that our science just keeps proving itself wrong. And the, thing that, the things that, that we're taught that, hey, this is fact, pretty quickly becomes not fact. And scientists go, well, actually, that was wrong. And, and over and over and over, we put our hope in the things of the world and realize, no, there is a cosmic power at play that is much bigger than us, that's much smarter than us, that's much wiser than us. This wasn't an accident. This didn't just, just happen. We're created beings. And so ever since the creation of the world and the things that have made, we've known. So we are without excuse. But he says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him because, because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. These scribes and Pharisees, they did not see the Son, Jesus, that was standing dead in front of them because they had become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And here's what was true for these guys. If this Jesus was who he said he was, it meant he was Lord. It meant he was ruler. It meant he was this cosmic king and they'd have to take themselves off of the throne that they had placed themselves on. It meant that they would have to repent, and they didn't want to repent. They didn't want to see the sun that's very clear. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We see evil in every generation, and every generation it does this. And friends, if you look around the world today, this is what you will see. You will see all the signs that we ignore with our foolish and dark hearts and look with our futile thinking at the world and try to excuse away God. Try to excuse away who God said he is so that we can have our own way. But friends, let me tell you, our own way is often the bad way. It's often, it's like we saw last week where, where Satan in his darkness, Satan doesn't need you to believe in him. Satan just wants you not to believe in God. Satan wants what's worse for you. Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy. And that is, that is crazy, the insult that they hurled at Jesus when they said, oh, he cast out demons in the name of Beelzebub. No, everything Jesus did was for our good. Rather, we would want to change the glory of the immortal God for, for false idols, for things that we put up on a pedestal and worship, thinking that if we have our way and those things have our way in our hearts, then we would be happy. In reality, we clearly have the only signs we need in the New Testament to see Jesus. It is, it is God's grace that he sent his son Jesus Christ to the earth to save rebellious sinners like you and I. It is God's unmerited favor that he sent Jesus. But it is also... God's unmerited favor that he revealed himself to us through his word. That we have the gift of the Bible. And let me tell you, friends, it is a gift. Today you may be sitting here and you may, you know, I, I don't, 
Zach, I don't believe in this Jesus you're talking about. I don't, I, I don't, I don't believe in it. I, I, this, you've got this fairy tale kind of God. I believe there's a God. I think there's a higher power out there. And I pray to him sometimes, but I'm just not 100% sold that he's Jesus. I'd like to present a challenge to you. One that couldn't hurt. If this is just a fairy tale, then take a little time and read some of it. We're preaching through the book of Luke right now. We've been in Luke since, I don't know, uh, November, right? And we'll, we'll be here a while. We'll probably see another November come and another November. I don't know. Uh, anyway, read the book of Luke. Read the book that we're doing. Just read it a chapter a day. Just, just read a chapter of the book of, of day and then pray this. If the God of the book of Luke is real, will you show it to me? Do what, do, what, do what Jesus says not to. Ask for a sign right here. Just ask for a sign. Then when you get done with the book of Luke, read the book of Acts. Luke wrote, Luke wrote both of them, Luke and Acts. Just read it. Seek it. Look for it. And I'll let you know. I believe that you'll see that, no, Jesus was real. You know, most, most people who have a, a problem with Christianity, if they'll read a, one of the Gospels, what they'll quickly realize is they don't have a problem with Jesus. They don't have a problem with the God of Christianity. They have a problem with Christians. And there's some sort of hurt in their life of something that a Christian did that's put up this road, roadblock that's caused them not to see the signs that, no, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the way. That Jesus is the light. And in Jesus, there is no darkness. So here's what I'm telling you. Search for them, and you'll find them. Read it, and you'll see it. Just like the Queen of the South. Listen to this, verse 31. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Well, who is the Queen of the South? Uh, this is known as the Queen of Sheba. We see this in the Old Testament. Two different, two different passages in the Old Testament tell us the story of the Queen of Sheba. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, uh, we, we see this uh, in two different places in Scripture, and we don't know exactly where the Queen of Sheba came from. Now, there's, there's two, different, uh, two different kind of thought processes. There's some that think that she was from Arabia, so from the, the Middle East. And people who are from the Arabia and the Middle East tend to, tend to claim that she was from there. Others claim that she was from Africa, particularly Ethiopia, the queen of Ethiopia. And so um, if you're from Ethiopia, you're more likely to, or, or Africa, think it was Ethiopia. In Ethiopian orthodoxy, uh, which, which is a, a, a Christian religion, though they're, they're, it's a, 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 lot of, they're, a lot of false teaching in it, um, it's very much rooted back to this story. So it's an, it's an important story in world and, and church history. And so here is this woman who hears of the teaching of Solomon. And she travels really far searching for Solomon and his wisdom. Now, here's the big idea that I want you to see as we start breaking into this. That Jesus is what you need to see to believe. Jesus is what you need to see to believe. The book of Proverbs was written by Solomon. This is who was wisdom she was going to get. Solomon, David's son, uh, the, the third king of Israel. 
he wrote the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs in the Bible, it's what we know as wisdom literature. And it's these Proverbs that show great wisdom. And listen to what he said. This is advice that, this is what advice that Solomon gives. And it's not to the Queen of Sheba, but she takes it. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And so Solomon's telling us, hey, there's this treasure And this treasure is wisdom, and you ought to seek for it. You ought to look for it like treasure or gold. And here's a promise of Scripture, is if you look for it, you will find it. Um, Like the 17th Indiana Jones is in theaters right now. I'm not sure what number it is. I just know it's impressive that Harrison Ford's still making movies at 100. And uh, that's right, that is who it is, right? It's Harrison Ford, yes. All right, making sure you know I'm not a movie guy, and I'm not going to go watch that movie one one sometime in the like far future if it comes on TV on a Saturday and I happen to be in the lounge chair watching TV, you know, in the recliner. I might watch it and fall asleep, but um, I've watched one. If you've watched one of them, you've watched all of them, right? And they're looking for something. Right, And maybe it's the Ark of the Covenant, but whatever. It is going to be like silver. It's going to be like gold. It's going to be like super valuable. And what's going to happen as they're seeking out the treasure? There's going to be dangers, toils, and snares. Right? It's going to be like major things trying to eat them, kill them, stick them, poke them, track them, hang them. And no matter what's trying to kill him, he's going to be willing to do it because finding the treasure is worth it. Right? Did I nail the plot? And I think I've slept through every movie, right? Yeah, very good. Um, this is the plot of life. Like, there, there's got to be this uh, amount of, like, there's treasure, and the treasure is wisdom, and we ought to do everything we can to find it. And so here's the Queen of, Queen of Sheba, the ruler of this part of the world, the queen who has everything in her grist, the, the, the queen who can have her her. Like all the riches brought in, the spoils, who's waited on, who's, who's well kept and well fed and has everything that she might want, gets to the place like so many rich people do and realize there's got to be more to life. I have to go find it. And so she takes and loads up and goes and looks for it. Second Chronicles chapter 9, one of the places... That this story is told. It says, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. Having a great uh, retinue and camels, bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from her. There was nothing hidden from Solomon that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, and their clothing, his cupbearers and their clothing, and his burnt offerings that he had offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. Meaning, 
when she sees Solomon and his wisdom and all that, that he's done and just how remarkable this, this is that he's built, it literally took her breath away. She was in awe of it. She gasped of it like, I cannot believe this. This is what she said. She said to the king, The report that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom... But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. So she'd heard of the report, but she had to come see Solomon and his wisdom and all those things with her own eyes. She had to see the signs that pointed to this guy has the one true God. This guy doesn't worship false gods. This God worships the, the one true God. And behold... Half the greatness of your wisdom was not told to me. You uh, surpass the report that I had heard. And so this queen of Sheba comes and seeking wisdom and she finds it. And this is what we know. He told her about Yahweh. He told her about her God, the one true God. And so Jesus is saying... She came all the way across. She traveled wide and far. She searched for, for wisdom like treasure, and, and she found it. But I'm going to tell you, something greater is here than Solomon, and it's me. Jesus is what you need to see to believe. Jesus is what you need to see. You don't need to see anything else. You don't need to see signs. The one, the one that the, the, the sun was standing in front of them, but yet their hardened hearts, they refused to believe. And so now he switches back to the other analogy, back to the story of Jonah. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Here's the next big idea is that Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised to life on the third day. The men of Nineveh, they were blown away by the fact that God could use this fish to swallow Jonah to bring him to him. This man could survive it, and this man would come and preach. They were blown away by it. But let me show you the difference in Jesus and Jonah, how they're similar. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. He despised the Ninevites. He thought they were evil. He did not want to go to them, so he unwillingly went. Jesus was different. Jesus knew that the very people that he was coming to save were also evil. That they would rebel against him. That they, they would be the very people at his hands would die. That they were seeking to kill him. So Jesus willingly came to earth to live this perfect and spotless life. To not sin against God. To uh, obey all of God's commands. To willingly lay down his life to save us. Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, and the fish vomited him out. Jesus was dead and buried. He was in the tomb. He was in the belly of the earth three days. And God, doing what God only could do, raised his son Jesus from the dead. He was dead. 
He was not alive. He was truly dead. And the Lord breathed life back into him. And Jesus got up and walked out of that grave. And that is the only son that we need. Jesus is alive. Jesus is God. Now, I want to show you something incredibly merciful in each of these things. The people that Jesus is standing in front of, they are people, they're, they're Israelites, they're of Jewish heritage. They would, they would, they would look back and they would say, we're, we're from Abraham, Isaac, and Japheth. We're descendants of, of, of David. We're royal uh, bloodline. The Ninevites, they weren't. They weren't God's chosen people. They were a pagan people who had worshipped false gods and done evil things. And it was God in his mercy that he was going to save them, that he did save them through the preaching. He, he took a, 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 a people who were cut off from God and he used Jonah to reconcile them to themselves. They were a people that weren't descendants of David. The queen of Bathsheba, same thing, also a pagan people, a Gentile people, and not a people of royal priesthood. But yet, in her coming, in her searching, God uses it to save many, many, many people. And, and what we know, like if you even fast forward to the New Testament, the Ethiopian eunuch who, who comes, comes back and Can, Candace's court official, that you can see the seeds that were planted in Africa and Christianity growing uh, in, in Africa, probably from the Queen of, Queen of Sheba. And so we see God's mercy. And yet, most of us in this room today also of Gentile descent, of a people cut off uh, from God, alienated from, from God. And yet here's the people who had Christ, was of their heritage, had, had been preached and taught. Like we read Isaiah, those who in darkness had seen a great light. We, we're reading about the people who, who have this light right in front of them and yet reject him. It's as if they couldn't see. They, it's these same people who just said to this man who, who's doing so much good, you do this in the power of Satan, in the power of Beelzebul. And so this is what Jesus says to him. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Don't let this verse be lost on you. Verse 35. He's saying this to the people who called him dark last week. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Next big idea is this. You were once children of darkness. Now you're children of the light. Walk as children of light. I mentioned that verse last week. That's Ephesians 
5, 8. I, I love it when I can take scriptures and make, make, it, a, make it a point in my sermon. This is, this is a bit different. We, we hear this uh, analogy used by Jesus that you are a light in a dark world, a city on a hill. Here's a candle. Do you light a candle and put it under a basket? No, right? You, some of you in your head right now, you're singing a little song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to let Satan, Satan blow it out. So Jesus used this analogy multiple times in his teaching. This one has a different twist on it than when, when Luke shares it in this circumstance. He's already shared it once. It's, it's a little different. Because he uses, the, he uses this different analogy with it. Your eye is the lamp of your body. What does that mean? Your eye is the lamp of your body. Your eyes shining forth. Like You definitely can read too much into this. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. Um, I remember the, the first time that I, that I had really something happen in my eyes that I thought I could go blind. Um, I, I did not know what was happening, and I freaked out out. Um, I was in high school, and I was in welding class. I was in shop class, and we had been uh, welding, and we we're actually building a cattle trailer. It was this kind of cool project. What high school? Who trusts the high, school, high schoolers to build a cattle trailer and actually put cattle in it and haul them? Anyway, we're building this trailer, and it's like in the shop, and um, I'm working, and these other guys are working, and what basically what happened is I burnt my eyes uh, just by the, all the welding going on. And when I was welding, I was putting my hood down. I knew that. You don't want to look at a welding arc when you're doing it, but just from the sides and whatever. So I wake up at like 2 a.m., and my eyes are in incredible pain. It felt like I had just sandpaper in my eyes. I could not see I'm freaking out. Does anybody besides Ross ever experience this? Like, Ross is the only one giving me nods of like, yeah, I feel you. That's, okay, it was Ross. Uh, anyway, by the way, don't look at welding, people when they're welding. Don't look at the arc. It'll, it'll hurt your eyes. And I, I remember, like, trying to get up to go to the bathroom and, like, stumbling all over the place. Um, I had this experience again after I had LASIK surgery. I thought, oh, great, I'm blind. This is not good. I can't see anything, you know, like... Uh, I think it was like two or three days. So I was the biggest baby ever because like my body was shut and I was useless because I could not see. I have a blind neighbor. I, I don't. He he does like amazing things. He can go the go to the mailbox and and get his mail and he goes for little walks. I don't know how he does it because when I can't see, I am exactly useless. And, and I think I think that's that's what he's showing us is that that if you if you don't have Jesus as the light in your life, what you are seeing is wrong. It's not accurate. You are stumbling around in the dark. There's a light, but you're not using it to see. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm backpacking or whatever, and you know, it's, it's, it's night, you're setting up camp, you're cooking in the dark, and... Um, I'll have my headlamp on, and I can see, but I get cold, and so I take and I put my, flip my hood up, and I normally have two hoods, so you got your light hoodie, and then your bigger outer jacket, and when you flip it up, guess what happens? That lid comes down on top of your light, and now you all of a sudden can't see. Anybody ever do this? And so then you end up with taking your, your, your headlamp off and putting it on the external of all of it, and it just feels awkward and weird. Um, but you have to do it if you're going to see. Because you can't cover up that light 
that, it, that, that you're, you're using to try to see. If you cover it up, you cannot see. And this ends up being our spiritual condition. It's like we're, we're covering up the light. We're taking the, the light that we can use to see, and we're covering up. We're taking, we're taking our eyes. Our eyes aren't healthy, so we're looking, for the wrong, we're looking at the wrong thing. So, here's his warning. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. And he says this to these scribes and Pharisees who were confident, who were sure that what they were seeing was right. They were confident that they were light and he was darkness. They were confident that they couldn't be wrong and this was Belzebul. He's doing this in the power of false gods. And they were wrong. With eternal consequence, they were wrong. And friends, you may be sitting here today very sure that your way is the right way while ignoring the signs that it's the wrong way. You may be sitting here today thinking that you have it figured out and that your way is the right way and that Jesus' way is the wrong way. But I'm going to tell you that Jesus' way is the right way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus said this. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part at dark, it will be wholly bright. As with a lamp with its rays gives you light. And so those who have Jesus have what is right and have what is good. He is the one that makes them good. He is the one who changes them. The Bible teaches us that when we place our faith and trust in Christ, it changes us from the inside out. That means it causes us to repent of darkness, to no longer walk in darkness, to no longer walk in the futility of our minds as the Gentiles do. What God works in us works out. Repentance means life change. It means that we no longer live as the world. Remember the last thing I read last week, verse, verse 27, this woman speaks up. And she says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nurse. And Jesus corrects her and he says, no. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are the ones whose lives are changed by the light. Because now they have Jesus as the light. Then their lights reflect Jesus. They shine Jesus to the world. You cannot claim to follow Christ and claim Christ and then reflect the darkness of the world to it. No, we must live different. Like, listen, Jesus is the sign that we need. But you know, know this, that the sign to the rest of the world are his followers. It's his word, we read his word, but his follow, he's given us the job to go and make disciples. He's given us the job to go and to shine our, our lights before men. There's a few different ways we do this. It's how you live your life day in and day out. It ought to be different. You ought to represent light to the world and not darkness, one. Two, 
when you place your faith and trust in Christ, do you know how you tell the world that you've placed your faith and trust in Christ? Do you know how you tell the world you're no longer going to walk in darkness, but going to walk in the light? Do you, Ephesians 5, 8, you're, you're once children of darkness, now you're children of light. Walk as children of light. Do you know how you tell the world it's baptism? It's your own time of going into the tomb. It's your own time of, of, of dying. That, that baptism will take. We're going to have a baptism next, next week, next Sunday. And, and if, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ and you've not been baptized, it's your time to tell the world, I'm no longer walking in darkness. I'm walking in light. The Bible says that if you confess your sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive your sins. The Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead and you will be saved. And that baptismal that we have, that, that water is the tomb. And so it's, it's symbolic that you are being buried with Jesus in baptism and you're raised to walk in a new way of life. That's the way of light in a dark world. So that's number two. And number three, it's communion. It's the Lord's Supper. Us taking, partaking in the Lord's Supper. It, it is, this is a proclamation of who Jesus was and is. This is proclaiming that Jesus is light. That he is Savior. That he came to save those who believe in him. The bread is symbolic of his body that was crucified on the cross. His blood uh, the, the juice, symbolic of the blood that was shed for our sins. And we take communion. Paul gives us some, some clarification. Jesus gives us the command to do this in remembrance of him. But, but Paul gives us some further instruction that says, Hey, you're once children of light. You're once children of darkness. Now you're children of light. Walk as children of light. He says, For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so then he, he gives us this warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is a command that the light, this is, this is I'm sorry, a declaration that the light of Jesus is in you. This is you saying, I am following Jesus. I am a follower of Christ. Listen, if you're here today and you don't follow Christ, you don't believe, that's great. We are glad you are here. You're welcome here any time. I'd love to meet and hang out and talk. Not a, not a problem. You are welcome here. We want you here. We, we want you to, to learn, to hear about Jesus. I'm glad you are curious. But it would be weird for you to take this. Because this is making a declaration that his body and his blood were shed for me and I'm going to eat and drink it. Kind of weird to follow him, to say I'm a follower of Christ. If, if you're holding on to sin, if you're saying I'm a follower of Christ but you're walking in darkness, there's a stern warning here not to do that, not to bring judgment on yourself. 
Do not eat the Lord's cup in an unworthy manner. I mean, it, it's clear. You should be walking with Christ. You should be a baptized believer. You should be in, in the right standing with God and the fellowship of the saints to take communion. Now, the goal isn't to keep anyone from taking communion. He says, examine yourself as you take it. The goal is repentance. The goal is, is to get right with God. This, the, the goal today is for you to be like the Ninevites, to see the son. Hey, here's this man. And as soon as he starts preaching, go, yes, I believe. Don't harden your hearts like the Pharisees and scribes that had Jesus in front of them and refused to believe him, but rather be like the Ninevites and go, yes, I believe. Yes, I repent. Turn from your sin and follow Jesus today. Christian in the room. Walk as children of light, for he is light. In a few seconds, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Josh and Rachel to come up, and they're going to sing and play. And I'm going to ask you to, just as we start singing, pray. And for the Christian in the room to, to, to pray and to, to examine yourself, and am I walking in the light? Am I walking with God? If you're not a Christian, you're, you're in the room, I'm not sure, maybe you just sit in silence and wait. Maybe, maybe say, God, will you reveal yourself to me? Will you show me? Maybe today God's revealed himself to you and you should pray a prayer of salvation. Lord, save me today. Lord, I believe. Lord, I'm repenting and turning from my sin. As you've reflected and as you've thought through it, then those who, who are following Christ, who, who are saying, he's the light of my life, I want you to come up. It's not in order, any order, but just as you're ready and to, to go ahead and, and, and take of the cup and peel back the top of the bread and take the bread and crush it between your teeth as you put your mind on Christ and his, his body that was broken was put on the cross for you. Put your mind on him. And then go ahead and peel back the top and wait and we will drink of the juice together as we celebrate the blood that he shed on the cross for you and I. So Father, we come to you, Lord, thankful for your mercy and grace that while we were in rebellion, while we had foolish, darkened hearts, Father, that you showed us the Son of Jesus, that, that you sent Jesus Christ, that we may see him and know him. Lord, may we be a people who, like the Queen of Bathsheba, say we've seen it with our own eyes, and now we believe it. And so, Father, do far more in this room than we ever ask, imagine, or thought. Lord, move and work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond in the taking of communion.